0: And welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Mark Stockley. Hi. Greg fido Hello. And Peter McKenzie. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did the intro.
1: Yeah. Oh, I have really no idea really how many takes fighters. that's taken.
0: Hello. <laughs> uh, it was uh, very sultry. Is you, that you, your James Bond ha- voice? Happy to be back, yeah, Greg. James
2: Bond's voice. Um, uh, not this rate.
0: Oh, <laughs> Peter, are you to glad here. to be on the podcast? Here, yes. Thought so. You sound enthusiastic as well. Yeah. So Can it's you keeps... put the gun
3: down? Now. This is what enthusiasm
1: sounds like from Peter.
0: <laughs> it's sort of it's like my enthusiasm. As usual, we've picked the top three stories from the last week to discuss on the podcast. So coming up on today's show, Fido talks about a VPN breach. Peter's talking about ransomware that's not really ransomware. And Mark Stockley's talking about eight-inch floppy yeah. discs. <laughs> <laughs> but first, last week we uh, we gave Mark a new segment. Mark's Thought of the Week.
1: This is Wisdom of Bananas? No. It's called. I thought we all agreed.
0: It's not Wisdom of Bananas, nor is it Wisdom of Elon. It is Mark's Thought of the Week, but I'm taking it back because I've had a thought. <gasps> so. What are we going to call it now? Anna's How will we week?
1: ever come up with a name?
0: I know, it's tricky. Um, so uh, last week, Researchers at the University of Sussex announced that banning out-of-hours email could actually do more harm than good. While it could help some people, it could also stop people achieving work goals, causing stress. So we took to social media, not just Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram, and asked um, our community what they uh, thought. So should we ban out-of-hours email? On Facebook, 80% said yes. 20% said no. Really? Instagram, 71% said yes. 29% said no. What what time of
1: day did we ask them? Because that's probably quite important.
0: Out of hours. Stop stop bothering me with these (laughs) stupid
1: polls out of hours. No,
0: they could could answer it because they weren't doing their emails. And uh, Twitter, 67% said yes and no was 33%. Um, So what do you guys think? So you
1: said 80% of Facebook and Mm -hmm. 67% of Twitter are snowflakes is what you're saying. Ooh, oh, contentious.
0: We're going to get so much backlash. Thanks, Mark. So, we, so Everyone's just, leaving us in troves.
2: To get some details, so, so they're just saying, right, it's not legal or you're not allowed to access your work email outside of hours
0: so yeah the, the the well the question was should we ban out of hours email so yeah you can't access it but as you said when i messaged last night as i was swatting up on what to talk
2: about the podcast <laughs> should we ban skype as well yeah that would have been great what time <laughs> was that that was like at 10 o'clock as well
0: i'm a busy person
2: mm. so, so for what me, do you think about the idea of banning so out of hours communication Anna.
0: <laughs> so i don't i because i i have a young son and it because of childcare and stuff I end up getting into work a bit later and I have to leave a bit earlier into the actual office so I do a lot of my work in the in the evenings and that works for me and I'm I, I'm lucky in that Software is so flexible but so it wouldn't work for me and also we're a global organization we've got a lot of the people that I work with are in the U.S. so when when does that when does out of hours what does that mean?
1: What does it even mean? What does it
0: even mean? So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not officially an employee. You're a freelancer, Mark. How, does that, how would that work for you? Uh,
1: well, I think that my thought on this is it works for me whichever way I want it to work yeah. for me. And that's the way it should work for everybody. And if you're waiting for a company to kind of save you from yourself, then um, you're going to experience a lot of trouble in your working life. Yeah, You know, I don't, I just, I, this has got me quite excised. To be honest. Really? I think this is the end of civilization. I And I don't think I'm overstating things here.
0: <laughs> You're usually so calm.
1: It, uh, I just... I, I, I cannot believe that people think that the way that they're going to manage their incoming messages is that some benevolent company is going to do them the favour of cutting off the supply. Mm. Like, this is a basic adult skill. You know, one of the things you have to do in your job is manage your time. And I, I don't, like... You don't have to have your notifications on on your phone, and if you do then you're giving control of your phone to yeah. other people and that's what that's the, that's what bothers me I think this is this is people absolving themselves of responsibility for, for a, a, a basic part of managing 21st century life you've got to be able to deal with the fact that people might message you out of hours and if you're not available to answer those messages then you're not available. And you know yeah, your employer I mean, I guess, needs to know that. I
0: guess it does depend on your manager and what they're expecting from you because you could have someone that's expecting you to be on call the whole time. Yeah. And then that's that becomes less of a choice and more something you're forced into doing. Whereas well, for me, you're I'm, not
1: you're not necessarily forced to accept the job. I mean, you need to understand what's involved in a job if you accept it. And if what's involved in the job is that you may be messaged at any time of the day and expected to answer, then that's part of your job.
0: I don't know if that's necessarily in the job description though. Sometimes I think that just But happens. maybe
1: you should ask.
0: Yes.
3: Also, you said cut off the supply, but in most cases, you're really just delaying the supply until yes. the next morning anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I work in instant response. It, you know, if I get someone emailing me in the middle of the night saying, you know, we're under attack. Yeah. I, just I, say, I, I can't, I'll, I'll get I can't, I can't deal with that until 9am.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had a coffee yet. So,
1: yeah. Also, just, if you're yeah. under attack and you're emailing someone to let them know. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, FYI. It, it's yeah. a nice case, just not Quick practical.
3: Yeah.
1: It's like yeah. the episode of the IT crowd where they, they email the fire department about the fire in the office.
2: Have <laughs> <laughs> like you phoned the fire brigade? I've emailed them.
0: <laughs> Greg?
2: My thoughts? Give I, me your I kind thoughts. of agree with Mark on this one. Like just if you're if you got emails coming in after hours, you don't have to reply to them. You don't mm. have to read them. Just put down your phone. Like disconnect. <laughs> uh, the idea that we have to somehow have like government or law enforcement, uh, you know, block access to emails mm-hmm. out of hours just to save us from ourselves is kind of ridiculous. It's I think that's that's that is quite much, very much nannying us. I mean, yeah, Mark's right. You you should you you are an an autonomous individual. You should be responsible for your own actions. If you're yeah. spending too much time working when you shouldn't be working, that's that's a you thing. That's not an everyone thing.
0: But is it? This- It's the same as uh, social media, isn't it? Now, a lot of the sites have brought in um, settings where you can say when you don't want to access.
1: So I think the difference there, though, is if you've got settings on your phone that you're setting to control what gets to you, I entirely agree with you. But
0: that's the same, No, it's not. It
1: would be the same if Instagram said, oh, actually, social media out of hours is toxic. We have decided on behalf of everyone that no one will receive messages after six o'clock in the evening.
0: But you're saying if you can't legislate yourself, like... It's the same thing. You,
1: you get to use whatever controls are available to you to decide when you're prepared to receive or answer messages and when you're not. So that might be configuration on your social media, it might be configuration on your phone, it might be configuration on your email. What you can't do is rely on somebody else's benevolence, like Instagram or your, the company that you work for, mm. to stop messages leaving yeah, it's how you control
2: them arriving or your reaction to them arriving. What about if you need to send an urgent message? Yeah. What you are you can't. meant to do then? Oh, no, you can't. It's not allowed. You're not allowed to have urgent needs. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> you can't Well, the IT department about the fire and the data centre. To,
3: to counter Greg's earlier point, though, about just telling people, you know, it's your choice, don't pick up your phone, that's very easy to say. I mean, there will be people that are going, well, no, if I don't respond to this, I am at risk of losing my job. Yeah. So it's a very easy thing, to but but that's not do. that's
2: a separate problem from just having access to email, mm. right? That's that's people doing work uh, or being forced to work outside of the actual contracted yeah. hours and so on. And those there are plenty of legal uh, frameworks already in place for that. Most countries have some kind of like set of hours, and you can't work over X number of hours per month or per week or whatever. So those kind of things are in place. Yeah. But to somehow think that telling companies they can't allow their employees to access email. Or block access to email at certain times of the day is just... Or maybe it's I part of the bizarre. contract.
0: I just think I think flexible working... I believe in flexible working for anyone. So whether, it's, whether you're in the office or when you answer emails, if you can regulate yourself.
1: Yeah, we don't work in a factory, guys.
0: Well, that is true. But do they... I know, I was going to say, do they use email? They probably do.
1: What, in factories? Maybe not. Not in the Victorian sort of, era, no. No.
2: Back in your day. Sizzle Sizzle. Fido Yes What are you talking to us about I should stop I shouldn't reply It's too late When you say Fido Let's try that again Say my actual name But when you reply You should (laughs) just go (laughs) They're just going to go Who's that guy Fido? Who is he? Okay.
0: Well, you're going to have to start when whenever you're presenting. You're going to have to start putting your name in as Greg Fido Iden when you're at events.
2: I don't like how this has become a thing. I'm really scared. You're Sorry. redefining my, my corporate identity. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to be talking about uh, the highly popular VPN provider NordVPN, uh, how they had one of their servers breached 18 months ago, wow. and they've only just admitted to it uh, very recently. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when we looked at their statements, uh, NordVPN explained that back in March 2018, one of their servers they rent from a Finnish, uh, in Finland, data center uh, got breached. And it's believed that it was due to an insecure management account for one of those out-of-band management systems, those kind of things that let you control physical hardware and mm. manage them away from the operating system that runs on them. And so the attacker then used this account to access a single server in in NordVPN's sort of uh, VPN network to steal some TLS uh, encryption keys and, according to a couple of other sources, some open VPN keys that would then effectively enable them to do man-in-the-middle attacks and basically impersonate NordVPN systems.
0: So what would that mean for the end user?
2: Ooh, so it's hard to say. According to to Nord, um, you know, the cu- cu- user data wasn't compromised, right. that these keys would require... It would make a very complex attack. Right? A man-in-the-middle attack is not an easy thing to pull off, especially on mass. You could probably pull it on, a, you know, attack one individual. And as far as it looks like, if there was some ability for them to look at network traffic, it probably would have been for an incredibly short period of time. And even then, identifying that down to individual users is still pretty hard. That said... People aren't supposed
1: to be able to get into servers or get access to those keys. No, no, we
2: shouldn't we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't cast aside the fact that this is a horrendous breach. Mm. So so what's kind of crazy about this story is that NordVPN were forced to make this incident public after a Twitter user called Hexdefined basically tweeted about it showing some screenshots of them using NordVPN's TLS certificates mm. to, to do a proof of concept man in the middle. Uh, and what was even crazy was then another user called or Cryptostorm underscore IS or is, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce that username. Um, But they shared a a link which was posted on 8chan, some... Toilet wall, horrible social. <laughs> I know, I, basically, the it's the bottom of the of of barrel. The bottom of the barrel, heard. kind of uh, Is uh, 8chan social network. 4chan? It's, twice Is it's, it's twice as bad. It's twice as bad. It's two it's times the four <laughs> <laughs> Um So, so someone on 8chan had posted uh basically the copy, copied and pasted the text of an SSH session from one of NordVPN's systems, which showed their OpenVPN configurations, their their configurations. Oh. Encryption keys, the public and private keys, just displayed in the text and pasted that into one of these websites. So th- that was kind of crazy. And so then after this whole conversation took place on Twitter, literally the next day, uh, NordVPN came clean and then told this story about what had happened. Um, this is like one of those celebrity apologies, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Conveniently uh, located, immediately adjacent to being rumbled. <laughs> <laughs> and th- and that I think is definitely what people are picking up on. Um, because. Uh, because the the timeline's kind of interesting cuz basically nord got breached like 18 months ago but didn't find out about it until about 6 months ago mm. cuz their the data center provider didn't bother to tell them about the breach so that's fair enough so okay we said 18 months at the start but they only really had 6 uh, sorry 6 months to deal with this but then they state that they hadn't sort of announced this yet because they're still investigating their 3000 plus servers to make sure they're not they're, they're not sort of having also been breached in the same way
0: But then how does that work with GDPR or does it
3: does
2: Not Not well, no. yeah. right, okay. <laughs> basically. Well, this is it. This is you know, and this actually comes down to one of the, the key things around NordVPN and, and a lot of VPN providers. They have these kind of zero log policies, right? So they say that they don't log out user activity. They can't monitor it. They right. can't share that data. They don't collect that data, so they can't share it. Uh, so so in theory, you know, someone's been you know, if someone's been able to get inside the network. That means they shouldn't be able to take any data mm. like this. But, but you, you could th- presumably set up a fake NordVPN if you've got the TLS keys, if you've got those keys. And then you can, if you want logging, you can just switch Mm. logging on. That's it. Again, that would be in a targeted way before all our listeners kind of start uh, shaking in their boots. So so because of this whole sort of zero log policy, your average user can't test something like that. You can't go out and prove that they're not logging something. So it means that... Anyone who's using NordVPN has to afford them a fair amount of trust, right? You have to trust this provider yep. that they're not logging your data, that they do what they say they're doing. So when they've had a data breach and then they don't tell you about mm. it for an incredibly long period of time and only do so once their encryption keys everything gets dumped on the internet, it kind of starts to mess with that trust. And that's certainly been what I've seen in a lot of social media looking into this story is that people just aren't happy about the security, privacy, VPN company they thought were meant to be really great and transparent mm. uh, being anything but. I get the impression that NordVPN
1: aren't very happy either, though. I, I saw the email they were sending uh, to customers, and they're laying the blame absolutely squarely at the data center provider's feet, saying this is, well, painting a very clear picture mm. about where they think the fault lies.
0: So, was it? It was just NordVPN, or were there other? There were others, So, there? it
2: seems to have been targeted on this Finnish data center. So, right. several other VPN providers, and who knows, maybe additional companies within that data center, you know, were also affected. Mm. So. I mean, Mark, you made a really interesting point about the, the about you know that they're the pointing the finger of blame on on the data center company. But this is the whole point of cloud, right? There's this shared yeah. security responsibility model. This idea that you know the the finished data center are responsible for the security of the cloud of their systems, but Nord need to be responsible for the security in the cloud of their systems that they're running inside that data center. And so if something gets breached like this, to not be able to identify that there's been system activity, that encryption keys and config files have been accessed. You know, we've seen a screenshot from an SSH session. Someone had access to that system was, you know, uh, piping or catting the the, the text files with the config files and so on to not have the ability to have spotted that and gone, hmm, why would someone be catting that config file at this time? Is anyone monitoring on that one system? Anyone using that system right now? So the fact that it it seems indicative almost as if they didn't have security in the cloud or at least not to the extent that you you would want to hope for a a company that's doing a big VPN network and using third party Mm. data centers all over the world. Because, I mean, this isn't the only data centre they'll be using. There'll be countless other companies' data centres they're using. So this is a scenario you should threat model for, you should anticipate is going to happen, uh, because, yeah, it's it's very likely to happen. I think that's... Uh, you touched on something there, though. It's just just to get it into perspective,
1: it is a very small slice of the NordVPN pie. Mm-hmm. Very small. But the, the problem for users is obviously you don't know if you're using that very small slice yep. or uh, if you were accessing NordVPN
2: through the much bigger slice it it looks like it was very much isolated to a single machine within the the finished data center so i i wouldn't be if unless you have got users who've been exclusively exclusively using the finished data center uh hopefully a lot of users aren't there so it's going to be a small subset of of nordvpn's users that might have been impacted by this i'm i'm sort of glad that this happened in a way i mean it's not good that a server
1: was breached Uh, It's not good that NordVPN were preached, but we know from looking at... When we write stories on Naked Security about VPNs, there is, I think, some serious misunderstanding around what you get from a VPN and what it affords your security. Explain what you get
0: from a VPN, Mark.
1: Yeah, pray, do tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, the way that we like to describe it is that a VPN is basically... It's like changing your ISP. So, it it doesn't change the amount of trust that you have to place in the servers that you use to connect to the internet. It just changes where you place the trust. Exactly. And the funny thing about VPNs is ultimately, what do you place your trust in? What you're placing your trust in is a bunch of assurances from that company about things you can't check.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So,
1: really, you're placing your trust in their marketing team and the marketing team's ability to effectively communicate what it is they think you want to know about that VPN service. And it is typically, we don't log you and things like that. And by the way, our stuff is really, really, really secure. But fundamentally, it comes down to just changing your ISP. If you use a VPN provider, you've changed your ISP. I guess the one thing you can say for certain if you're in the UK is that if you don't change your
2: ISP, then you are being logged. So if you change to a VPN, <laughs> it's very true. You I mean, might in be many being countries, locked. that's already the truth. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure that there's a lot of countries where your your v, your uh, internet service provider in your nation is probably already monitoring you. And so I think a lot of people use VPNs just to try and get them out of that. they they're just would rather trust anyone else but let their local authority see what they're doing. Um Greg, we're uh, I, we need running, to get some.
0: We're running out of time. I've got Alice, the producer. Exactly, we're Alice is, over is, me is the, just about to crack her, her, her cat nine tails. She's just <laughs> elevated her chair by I've three feet. I've got a feet. couple of questions from commenters, but do you... Uh, do
2: oh, you we wanna... can take the comments. I was just going to give us that, that, that nice pragmatic advice we like to try Please and do, roll at the Greg. end of the story. I so do. with a smile on my face, look, to everyone that's a NordVPN user... Uh, don't panic. There hasn't been any evidence that these stolen keys were used uh, as part of any attacks. So uh, it's very unlikely that anyone actually got compromised because of this. Also, the TLS encryption keys and everything have all been expired. They've all expired since expired. And I'm pretty certain even the OpenVPN things, NordVPN have gone and killed all those old keys. So they're not going to be usable. So if anyone was compromised, it was probably for a very short, brief period of time. So you should be safe to carry on using NordVPN. And then the other device is kind of tacking on from Mark's little point about um, about this mis- uh, misunderstanding of what VPNs are. It's just another ISP. You're moving your internet traffic to a completely different company and letting them see it. Right. So don't, don't just buy into this marketing about privacy, security. No one can see what you're doing. Yes, they can. They say they choose not to look and they don't log, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true and you should threat model accordingly.
1: Sure. Presumably, if what you were using the VPN for was... Uh, encrypted smtp email traffic yeah and uh, encrypted http traffic and ssl yeah anything then yeah. actually you're protected by a layer of encryption that the vpn provider can't break and exactly. that's that's good advice anyway for people if you don't trust your vpn provider if you stick to encrypted forms of mm-hmm. uh, network traffic then they can't see it anyway
2: exactly huzzah so you had some wonderful questions did you i did can't wait to hear them
0: so Anonymous asked, I think you've already answered this, could it be possible that some attacker captured encrypted traffic in the past and now with a private key be able to decrypt it as a result?
2: Potentially. I think they I read something about them using Diffie Hellman. So uh, yeah. in theory, there should, I, I guess, maybe like an hour of internet traffic they could possibly look at, but it depends on how quickly they're recycling keys. But I, I, my knowledge is a bit fluffy on this, but I'm pretty certain somewhere Nord was saying that they only, the keys were cycled like once per hour. So right, okay. that's, that's pretty good to hear.
0: Okay. Randy Ryan asked on Facebook, don't most browsers alert you to an expired certificate? They do. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Fido. That's great.
2: Would they have helped in this case? Uh, They would have helped once the SSL certificate expired. Uh, Well, TLS certificate expired. It expired, I think, three months after the breach. So there was a window where it was valid for about three months. But since, yes, it's expired. So they can't use it anymore. But unless you're the kind of person that accepts security things like that, where it goes, this is an expired certificate. Yeah, it's fine. Accepts. You're not. You're skip. not supposed
0: to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. On to our second story. Peter, you're going to talk to us about ransomware, but not as we know it.
3: Yes. So the city of Johannesburg in South Africa has been attacked. And in the press, which is where we're getting our information from, we're not involved in the investigation, um, but it's been referred to as ransomware. And what we know is on Thursday, uh, the 24th of October last week, um, users started... Um, reporting services not working and there was um, I think a Twitter post of what looks like a ransom note and it says it's from the Shadow Kill Hackers group and they've hacked the city of Johannesburg they've put in various back doors they have control of the city basically and that they have to pay four bitcoins which is about £30,000 by 5pm on Monday the 28th so it does kind of sound like ransomware, you know. What
0: happens if
3: they don't? If they don't, well they see this is gets into the question because from what we've learned from the the city themselves is the loss of service is down to them taking things offline right. ah. not because of encryption um their website went down and the shadow kill hackers which lee hacks all name i love it how could you mm-hmm. fail to take
1: someone seriously when yes, they call exactly. themselves you
0: should uh, well, have you checked out their twitter because they yes. are wearing hoods
3: yes they've got a hood on they've got a mask they're all good um so yeah they do have a twitter account it has been temporarily suspended i suspect permanently suspended um and on there they posted pictures of the, i think it was the active directory for the city mm-hmm. of Johannesburg and stuff so sort of their proof of life that they had accessed the systems um and they said <laughs> if you pay you get a promise from us that we will delete all your data and not publish it to the internet which is what we will do if you don't pay They also helpfully said if you pay, you will get a – I think they called it some sort of document, basically, of how they hacked the city. Oh, so So, they were helping, really? Exactly. Well, actually, they do say that. They say they are actually – they do bug bounty stuff as well under a different name. um, And that their goal is to compromise weak organisations and provide the information about how they can improve their security. How does their price a fee? I was gonna say, yeah. How does their price compare to like other pen testing companies?
0: Goodness, Is it not good not value bad. for money?
3: <laughs> but, um, not that we can encourage it, of course. But um,
0: well, yeah. especially not when a whole city has to take their whole system offline yeah
3: so the yeah the effect on the city is um various payment services for electricity and stuff have been taken down um call centers were getting inundated so they had to redirect the emergency um phone numbers and various other systems basically and a lot of them are still down at the moment so they're still recovering what four or five days on um so even if the attackers didn't encrypt any data they still caused a city to shut down mm. and whether or not you can class that as ransomware is kind of the question because, obviously, we're all used to ransomware being file encryption or disk encryption at the moment, um, sort of a denial of service on on those mm. bits of data. This isn't really that because, I mean, what do you guys think? It's oh, just a ransom, isn't it?
0: It's
2: extortion, really. Yeah, It's just without well, the where.
0: Yeah, and we're not sure that there was any where on yeah, the system, is there? We, there don't was no know malware. What, we
3: don't know if there's been any malware. We don't know if it's just good old... Hacking, and so know. why
0: did do we know why they shut it down? Because they're all, if they're already in, what were they doing? Trying to prevent anyone else from well, getting in? Well, shutting
3: down everything is your standard practice in a panicked situation. You know, mm. if someone says, I've got access, here's the proof, yeah. shut everything down shut and yeah. you can bury your head in the sands for a few hours while you try and work out what you're going to do. Mm.
1: Yeah, I suppose you don't know how they came in and what they've got access to and what they might do with your systems.
3: Yeah, so you pay four bitcoins apparently. And they that's,
1: will tell you. It's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for a sort of modern summer 2019 yeah, ransomware it, attack, is it? It's,
3: it's, it's depressing to say that's a, a fairly unprofessional amount. When you compare it to the type of ransomware attacks that have also taken down cities, like yeah, but hey, Saturn. they're not
0: they're not in it for the malice. They're doing no, it no, you're to right. Help they people. are just
3: trying to help. This is just their fee. <laughs> yes, yeah. We say with yeah. a smile on our face. Yeah. Um,
1: I think they've just never done this before. Yeah. Oh well, now I think they've blundered into this system and they don't know I what can, they're doing.
3: That I can disagree with because if you look at their Twitter, they also point out they've hacked another company. This was, um, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, um, called First Group. Now they are in South Africa as well. Um, I believe they've also got offices in the UK. They are a hospitality firms, lots of hotels and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same thing. They've posted pictures of uh, evidence from First Group's network. Uh, First Group have now published a statement saying, "Yes, we understand we have been compromised, and you know we're dealing with it." Um, but it's the same thing. And on the Twitter account for Shadow Kill Hackers. Really hard to say that. Love that name. Um, they, <laughs> it's like Greg isn't said. It? it's hard to say. They've actually threatened. They're very the, big on HN. The, <laughs> they threatened the city of um, that, um saying, look, if you don't pay, this is what's going to happen this is what we did to first group and here's a pastebin link to their data that we stole which is now down um so they've definitely done this at least once before
0: so but the the date and the time was yesterday wasn't it that they were going to release it by so have they did they pay uh
3: yesterday being monday um yes so 5 p.m monday the 28th local time um and they did include the bitcoin address in the air quotes, ransom note, so we can see if any payments have been made. There's currently $1 in there, presumably some sort of test payment. Mm -hmm. don't know if it was by the city or someone else. But um, no, at the moment, it looks like, as they stated, they wouldn't pay and they haven't.
0: So they haven't paid, but has the data been released? Not
3: at the time of recording. Right, I am watching, um, but no, as far as I can tell, nothing yet. Interesting. It's
1: an intriguing development, though, isn't it? This idea that you're... um, locking you out of your data is is worth something but actually showing the world your data is worth something as well mm. and there may be situations where that's worth more i'll remember um not long ago there was an attack on a on a, a cosmetic surgery clinic in london yeah. and the threat there was very much okay well we're going to reveal who has been a customer of this surgery rather than um you know it would have been a lot less damaging if they had just encrypted the data yeah mm. um
3: could be an interesting twist to the future of ransomware. You know, instead of having to deploy ransomware across an entire network, steal everything, demand a ransom, yeah.
2: I mm. think it's more testament to the, the, what, you know, the cryptocurrencies have, have offered to attackers, right? Because, I mean, ransomware is great for causing chaos and damage, mm. but ultimately it's this this idea that at least they believe that using something like a, crypto, a cryptocurrency is going to give them some kind of anonymity to then be able to, ask for this money and take it and somehow mm. get it out. Um, it's yet to be proven whether if they do take any payment, they try and pull it out if the money trail will inevitably lead to them.
3: Yeah, it seems a bit of a... And I don't want to give the bad guys, bad people, uh, tips here, but it does seem like a bit of a flawed business model, as you were, because you've still got the issue if, if you pay. You've got no guarantee they're not going to publish the data anyway. Yeah, exactly. But but so. that, that's
0: uh, the same with ransomware, though, isn't
3: it? Well, they won't decrypt your files, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I suppose actually the business model has not been proven mm. yet, like normal ransomware has.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm. We saw
1: this with uh, with Radiohead, didn't we?
0: Ah, yeah, we did.
3: Didn't they have Nocle Boys? Yes, the, the band Radiohead, <laughs> for anyone who's not familiar. Which is me. They we uh, were they're, they're they're quite big. Yes, from
2: I remember probably. looking on Last FM, they're like yes. probably one of the top bands, most listened to bands in the world next to the Beatles.
0: Radiohead are massive, but they're boring.
2: <gasps> <gasps> take that back That's Anna's take opinion. that sorry. back and do you know why? The, we're on <laughs> sacred grounds here in Abingdon like, to I any know, listener sorry. Radiohead from
1: the town that Solos to set up in do you so. want
3: to fill us in Mark
2: on Radiohead I was just trying to remember
1: what happened I think there, didn't they have a new album of songs released or stolen. They it was, had it stolen. And then they were
2: <laughs> yes. I think it was an old, I think it was actually like um, out, outtakes from their album OK Computer, if I remember correctly. Oh, no, and you're so, right, you're right. And and so they they got hold of all these like B-sides and and unused material and were like, if you don't pay us all this money, we're going to release it to the internet. So Radiohead were like, well, we'll just release it then. Yeah, we'll yeah. do it. Unfortunately, that doesn't
3: really work with a city where... No. ...you can say, well, we're we'll just going to release-, release all the... Private data, yeah, not really an option for them. New meaning to the public sector, hey? But there are, but it is an
1: option for some people, isn't it? And I think that 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 will be now forever known as the Bella Thorne defense. Mm. (laughs) Because not long after it happened to Radiohead, similar thing happened to Bella Thorne, where some photos of her.
0: She's a celebrity of some sort. I don't actually know what she does.
1: Oh. We're all looking at you. Google it. It's because you read the Daily Mail. because you
0: said she was a celebrity
2: of some kind. We're like, oh, someone actually knows. Who is Bella Thorne?
0: Bella Thorne is some kind of celebrity. Alice is an actress. She's an actress. Oh, Oh, cool. Okay. She's an actress. She's an actress, but she had her nudie photos hacked. (gasps) And they threatened to release them, so she released them herself. Good for her. But as you say, that's not really how a city with data on citizens could react. It's not
3: a position she should have been forced into anyway. No, exactly.
0: I was going
2: to say, it takes a very strong woman to be happy to do something like that as well. I mean, I wouldn't ever want to put anyone through the misery.
0: of. (laughs) But if if someone's going to release them anyway, you may as well own it.
2: Yeah, I mean, go go her. I would would be weeping in a corner, really worried.
0: Peter, how can people protect themselves against something like this then?
3: Okay, well, everyone's just got to remember that it is when, not if, for attacks like this. I mean, we don't know the details. Maybe... They will come out over time, but um, there was obviously some form of breach and you've got to prepare for these type of things. So, for example, you can't protect what you don't know about, so you've got to have inventory of all of your assets you've got to ensure they're protected you've got to understand your weak points and you've got to be training your staff and you've got to be monitoring for these type of suspicious activities happening on your network and not be in a situation where it's the hackers that are telling you you've been breached rather than your own security team this sounds like pretty basic stuff though peter basic to say not as easy to do oh words of wisdom
0: Ooh, and a good note to end on that section the wisdom of peter
1: <laughs> can you have a nickname Peter's please the
0: no god damn it mark yes story three yep so uh we're going to talk about quantum supremacy aren't we oh uh,
1: no what uh, about that
0: <laughs> i had to crumple up all my notes today didn't i because you uh you decided you wanted to talk about something else so instead you're going to ask us a question I am. Well,
1: it turns out that quantum supremacy is quite dull. So I found something.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure all those Google well, engineers there are just going. Thanks, Mark. They're yeah. looking forward yeah. to this episode. <laughs> yeah. Come on
0: then, get on with the question.
1: Well, I have a question for you, and this is easily the nerdiest question I have ever asked oh, on the podcast. Good for me then. I've got an idea in my head about who might be able to answer this, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm using that as cover because obviously I came up with the question, mm. and I, I came up with the question without doing any research. Is it but this is a the a nerdiest question. For question. Alice? <laughs> <laughs> this is well, if Alice wants to answer this, then she will hand Everybody her a mic.
0: She's so, the biggest nerd in the room,
1: podcast presenters, host. Yes, Mark. What do the Kessel run and the Kobayashi Maru have in common?
0: Is It, it sounds uh, like a joke.
3: Star Trek and Star Wars, but
2: Ooh, it's in a, parsecs. A
3: good start.
0: Uh, they, they
2: calculate something about the distance in parsecs, no, which
3: the, seems like a ridiculous um, co- unit. The one I can't pronounce is the test you can't pass. It's a f-
1: That's correct. The Kobayashi Maru occurs mm. in uh, Star Trek and it's, it is a, a test of leadership that is impossible to pass.
0: Oh, that's so funny. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe you can answer. So what's
1: it? the Kessel Run?
3: Well, that's the Millennium Falcon.
1: Yeah, it's, exactly. it's some fancy How <laughs> really no, Can you stop it, talking over me, Peter?
3: This is ridiculous. <laughs> stop taking the words from I my, out of my Peter mouth.
1: Peter was pretending not to know at the beginning, but it's all just flowing <laughs> out of him now. Okay, so the Kessel Run is what, Peter?
3: I, I don't know if they exactly explain it, but it was something the Millennium Falcon did.
2: It's, it's how the
3: Han Solo or, brags yeah. about how quick
2: yeah. the Millennium Falcon is. Yeah, that's it right. doesn't actually ever make re- any can sense. Can you remember how quick the Millennium Falcon was? Oh, it's like, Three. like 12... Point yeah, something, something. parsecs, <laughs> Yeah. Which again doesn't make any sense.
1: I think I think they do the Kessel run in under 12 parsecs?
2: You you certainly read from that oh, your right, notes come on, there. Then. With, with anyway, so intensely. the Kessel
1: run is the fictitious boast mm-hmm. in Star Wars. The Kobayashi Maru is the unpassable leadership contest. Oh, I know. And that is not the answer. They are both US Air Force software development hubs.
0: Oh. And
1: they are cool. Because they've got cool names, right?
0: And this brings you on to your topic.
1: And these are great examples of how hacker culture is infiltrating everything. Uh, And they're also places that you might get sent on a short assignment if you work for the US Air Force's 595th Strategic Communications Squadron, perhaps as a reward, or perhaps just to remind you of what the present day looks like. And you need reminding of that, because if you work in the 595th, you probably spend most of your time working in the past. The 595th is charged with the upkeep of the Strategic Automated Command and Control System, or SACS, which is described by Wikipedia as a command and control system to coordinate the operational functions of United States nuclear forces. So this is basically the kind of communication system that they use to say, launch the nukes.
3: So when someone presses the red button, these are the guys that actually do it.
1: Basically. Yeah, that that turns a wheel that yeah. like hits a <laughs> sparrow who flies into a target that drop something into a bucket of
3: water. And- oh, a Rube yeah.
2: Goldberg machine. I yeah. always envisioned it a bit more like Goldeneye, but I now want a Rube Goldberg. That's how nukes are set off. Like Pee Wee Herman's kind of... You want your own <laughs> nuclear command and control system? Yeah. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, yeah. yes, please. What
3: doesn't? Out-
1: outside project. <laughs> So back to Wikipedia. Wikipedia further notes that Saks is one of the oldest federal IT investments and it runs on an IBM Series 1 computer, which is a 16-bit so-called mini-computer, which is anything but mini, (laughs) introduced in 1976, and it uses 8-inch floppy disks.
0: Wait. What are they? (laughs) You, I actually, I, you know, a floppy. I'm old enough to know about floppy disks, but some of our listeners might be younger than me. I know, surprising. Do you want to explain what they were?
1: Yeah, so an eight-inch, an eight-inch floppy disk is a data storage device. Yep. Which dates back to 1973.
2: So, Mark, sorry, the eight and a half inch floppies, was that when they were still, well, they were actually, sorry, eight inch floppies, were they still floppy at that point? <laughs>
1: well, no, and that always confused and annoyed me, which will yes. come as a surprise to you. Anna. No,
0: they were floppy.
1: They were in no way floppy. I mean, you wouldn't say that they were rigid, but they were, they weren't as, they weren't as, floppy they weren't as rigid as, as the, the five and a The five and a quarter quarters, were much yeah. They were a lot, they were. So for people they who've they never seen one, the eight inch floppy <laughs> disc is actually, it's like a thin plastic case with a a, a magnetic disk inside it, yeah. like a wafer-thin mm. magnetic Wafer disk. And disks like this were how we used to store data. And I remember what a revolution it was. Listeners may recall last week I was talking about the BBC B micro that my mm. father brought home in the early 80s. And we used to load computer games and computer programs from tape, from the old cassette tapes. Yeah. And one day we bought a Vigeland disk drive, which took these uh, eight-inch floppies. And suddenly games would load in, you know, seconds mm. instead of hours. It was no rewinding, right? <laughs> no. It was quite incredible. So it's easy to overlook what a revolution they were at the time. And anyway, they, they had been around for about 10 years by this point. Uh, and they were later superseded by the, uh, was it five and a half? Five and a quarter. Five and a quarter inch.
3: Mm-hmm. 1.44 4 meg. I recently it? saw, wow. I think it was on twitter i saw they gave the five and a quarter whatever size they are discs to a couple of teenagers and said can you tell us what this is and they thought it was a 3d printed save icon <laughs> I love,
2: no I love right. it, Like, wow you 3d printed that that's so cool <laughs> <laughs>
1: so does that answer your question
0: yes it does thank you for the so I, have to, I have to
1: find where i was in my notes now
0: for greg who's the youngest pe- person you, Greg. Who's the youngest person in the world? In the in the studio, apart from
2: Alice. Uh, I'm 30 years old. I was talking about Saks and
1: saying that they use an old IBM Series 1 computer mm-hmm. and 8-inch floppy disks. Well, actually, they don't use 8-inch floppy disks anymore.
2: Bizarre! They've upgraded to... They have.
0: Five and a quarter? Yeah.
1: No, they've gone even, even better than tape. that, although they're not saying exactly what <laughs> it is. disks? So, naked security readers this week, they were very excited to learn that Saks has dispensed with its 8-inch floppy disk in favour of something it's describing as a highly secure, solid-state digital storage solution. Ooh. Which sounds like a modern hard drive to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, one part of the venerable Saks system, which must be older than a lot of the people who work on it, has been dragged into the 21st century, but a lot of it is still back in the 1970s. And now I'm on the fence about whether this is a feature or a bug, but I'm inclined to think that it's a feature, the age of the system. And Lieutenant Colonel Jason Rossi, commander of the Air Force's 595th, had this to say to C4IRSnet.com. I joke with people and say it's the Air Force's oldest IT system, but it's the age that provides that security. You can't hack something that doesn't have an IP address. It's a very unique system. It's old and it's very good.
0: Is that right, though?
1: Uh, well, it, it depends. I think the spirit of what he's saying is, you know, there's, yeah. there's clearly some truth in it. Obviously, you can hack things that don't have an IP address, but if you attach something to a network, and in particular, if you attach something to the internet,
2: yeah. it's much, 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 much easier for, for sure. somebody to hack it. Yeah, I mean, this will be on an air gap system in a bunker. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's not too too worrying that it's. Uh, Do you really want systems. the nuclear deterrent of the United States of America?
1: edging nearer towards the internet of things. It <laughs> it's just a Twitter bot at
2: this point.
3: When <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> say it like that, yeah. Hmm. You have to just send like
2: three poop emojis to it and then it just does it.
0: Isn't, isn't the code 000000? 000 000 yeah,
3: 000. Oh, is it? it was, um, I think How it was, do you know the code <laughs> do you know? Stop, uh, edit that out. Can you edit that out, please, Alex? Um, <laughs> I think this was declassified a few years ago um, from the sort of Cold War era, but um, I think they said it was like, 20 30 years of cold war where the code that you need to type into i don't know if it's launch the nukes or get access to the system was eight zeros so and the
1: same as Kanye west's phone yeah
0: no, i think that was yeah. only six or four wasn't it <laughs> which <laughs> sure, i mean it sounds too difficult you
3: know we, we have a get bad passwords all the time and that's obviously an incredibly bad password but you've got to imagine that you've got to be in the bunker typing this you've already got through a lot of security so yeah if you are in the position where you do need to launch the nukes, maybe before your enemies arrive, you can't be do logging you really into the last want to pass. remembering what it was. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks very much. I, I'm not
1: reassured by any of that. So i would leave you with the words of Naked Security's John Dunn, who wrote the story for us, and he said, "It's easy to gloat at the apparent backwardness of this, but systems of such importance are designed primarily to work rather than to be up to date." Mm. Amen to that.
0: So James Brammer asked on the site, the US military is coy about what will replace the equipment, but it will presumably be something faster and more powerful. Please, oh please let it be zip discs. Those <laughs> things were awesome.
2: Sure <laughs> <laughs> says so like the two iomega people left just like
0: yes. Zip <laughs> zip
2: discs were
1: awesome. They were awesome. There was about two weeks in the late nineties when zip discs were awesome. And
2: jazz drives. Jazz oh, was like jazz a terrifying man. I, completely forgot I had them zip, zip 100 meg, I think is the, the size of yeah, them. Did they go up to 250 in the end? I think so, yeah. But yeah, jazz. I was all about the jazz.
3: <laughs> and all that jazz. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't
1: I, go we go we all just created space for you to break into something.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry?
0: I think he could. You Weren't you in a choir or did I make that? Like I, I was in a choir.
1: Of course I was. There's loads of theatre. So we had a couple of people nope. talking about zip disks mentioning the click of death. Does anyone remember the click of death?
2: I mean, is that like all no. ma- uh, yeah. mechanical arms based or magnetic media, right? Something drive about clicks. zip yeah. drive clicks.
1: And It was just the death throes of your zip disk. But yes, it was the death throes of a spin of a platter hard drive as well, wasn't it? If you can hear it...
2: Yeah, yeah, bad times. Yep.
0: So Lawrence Marks, one of our regular commenters on Naked Security, who often leaves very insightful comments. We're a big fan, aren't we, Mark? We are. Uh, he said, Series 1 was a fine product. One of the chips I designed was used in one of its feature cars to support the old Prodigy system. Whoa. But what I really wanted to write about was the 8-inch floppies. Those old low-density... Low data density floppies are much more reliable and robust than newer ones for the simple reason that their magnetic domains bits are physically larger and it takes a correspondingly larger squared impulse to upset them.
2: Huh. That's actually really fascinating.
0: Mm. That's classic, classic
2: Lawrence
1: Marks. Mm. Greybeard disagreed with him, though. Ah. Used them on a Series 1 running RPS. Tended to degrade after a while. Recoverable read errors resulted in automatic reallocation, if the bad sector. If I recall correctly, no more than ten of these were acceptable. One more and the OS no longer accepted the diskette. This applied also to an emergency copy. You listened for the telltale noise from the head assembly, counting the occurrences to perform the copy in time. A count of ten suggested, well, mild panic. So back to the clicks of death.
2: I dislike the idea of these two guys just slowly indulging into a kind of a, a, a verbal fight over... Was this Floppy Drive? (laughs) (laughs) drive? No, they were really good. No, they were bad. This is
1: basically one One Chan.
0: Thanks, Marcus. Ever, your contribution is lovely. (laughs) I didn't have the word for it. About 10 minutes long. (laughs) went went on a bit too long. Um, Where can we find you on social media, Mark?
1: You can find me at Mark Stockley on Twitter and at Internet of Hens. But if you follow Internet of Hens, don't expect computer security stuff because it's about hens.
0: Didn't someone add you to a computer okay, um, security list? Loads of people are following
1: pushed. me now very obviously computer security. I say loads, like 39. That's but, you know, there's a lot of computer lot. security folks out there. And I am now on a computer security list or Internet of Hens'es.
0: So they should follow, if they want insights about computer security, they should follow at Mark Stockley. If they want to learn about bread and hens <laughs> and your private life, they should follow at Internet of In- Hens. Insights is a
2: strong word, yeah, by I, the way. I follow it.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Greg... <laughs>
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at secbug. And for any Redditors out there, I'm uh, you, you know, slash you slash secbug. And what's your 8chan handle? My
3: 8chan handle, uh, it's anonymous. Like everyone else's. Peter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at alt, um, at alt shift print screen. What does that do again? I remember that does something really annoying. Does it rotate the monitor? No, it turns it to, I think it's called high visibility mode or something like that. But um, if you want to prank someone, you know, there's the thing of turning your screen upside down. Everyone does. But, oh, shift print screen basically turns everything purple and black and (laughs) stuff like that. And the benefit of it is you can do it from the log on screen. You don't have to be logged on to do it. I'm sure there's more professional uses for it as well. We don't endorse
0: that. Outrageous. I'm going to do it. To no yours. fun here, please, Peter. <laughs> and I'm at Anna Braiding on Twitter. And we are, of course, at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. We are also Naked Security on Facebook, where we do regular Facebook lives talking about the latest security threats. Please rate and review our podcast. It helps other people to find us. And that's about it. Thanks, everyone. And until next time,
2: stay secure.